the way I look at I just need to share with everybody that Pooja brought this really cool tumbler where the alcohol comes to you. <laughs> <laughs> and you I don't understand how straws work. <laughs> I'm used to the tumblers where you have to tilt your head back. Pooch is also used to the tumblers where you have to tilt your head back, which is why she was confused while drinking this. <laughs> I don't know how straws work, and I'm stupid before alcohol. Hey there, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners. It's Pooja, Miranda, Anju, and Shamila. And we have a very special episode for you today. We are gathered here to talk about the Aziz Ansari conflagration <laughs> that occurred a mere 14 calendar days ago from the date of this record. We want to get started with giving you a brief recap of where we were prior to January 13th, 2018 with the state of feminism. And this is a very high level. So forgive the generalizations. So... Talking about misogyny in the media, in November of 1965, Sean Connery, then James Bond, gave an interview to Playboy magazine, which started out with him saying, it is okay to hit women, and meandered from there. In 1965, it was okay to openly declare in international publications that it is okay to hit women without consequence, because Sean Connery has been knighted since then. Then cut to 1992, a generation and a half later, with Anita Hill testifying against Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearing for the Supreme Court justice, alleging sexual misconduct in the workplace. Joe Biden was among some of her attackers on the Senate. He recently said he would issue an apology to her. She's just now getting her due in postmodern feminism as the icon that she deserves to be seen as. Modern times, we can talk about shows like Mad Men, in which the wonderful John Hamm is playing up this machismo of when America was supposedly great to the detriment of the women in the show. Now, I will openly confess, I never watched Mad Men because of that reason, because of my impression of the show. I don't need to see how men are seen as superior. So now what we want to talk about is the environment of feminism, given that brief history, prior to January 2018 and the Golden Globes. Really prior to September 2017, right? Right, yes. So we want to start with the election in November 2016 when the grand old party inaugurated a sexual predator as the head and representative of America. So Donald Trump gets elected in 2016 and in 2017 we have two of the biggest movements to benefit feminism since the burning bra memories of 1970, said a person born in the 80s. So that's where we want to start. We're going to talk about disease today in the context of media, feminism, the South Asian story, and of course, rape culture. So standard issue trigger warning here. If any of those things will set you off, please see us in two episodes yes if you're anything like me you had to turn off the internet and not look at articles i got very triggered by this and so i don't blame anyone for not wanting to listen to this episode especially with as much coverage of this event and the confusion surrounding it that has happened in the past two weeks two weeks because it seems much much longer like i years. think 
we were sucked into a vortex and lost all sense of time. Yeah, everything since November 2016 feels like an eternity. Let's start the discussion off there before we move to Me Too and Time's Up. Shamila, <laughs> welcome back to Jilted Indian Podcast. Thank you so much. Shamila appeared in season one of the Jilted Indian Podcast on an episode we used to talk about coping with the new racial trauma and about name shame. <laughs> so wel- right. welcome back. In that episode, you learned that Shamila is a mental health professional. So one of the things we want to ask you up front, Shamila, do you, how, what have you noticed in general, in your practice, in your profession, of people being affected by the rapidity of this new cycle. I personally love how you were just like, do, how, what? <laughs> because that's how I feel about this. So I'm also very happy Shamila's here because what the, huh? Where? Shamila. Okay, so going back to the question, you said you wanted me to comment on what it's like for people in my practice, how they're responding to the news cycle, the 24-hour news cycle. Most of them are having to turn off their access to the news cycle. You know, the Me Too piece is is another piece I'll come back to in a second. But just in general, the 24-hour news cycle, I think, is overwhelming to all of us. And for those people who come to therapy they already have enough stuff that they're trying to deal with. So a lot of them are either bringing the news stories in here and talking about it and talking about how it's disrupting family relationships, or they're just saying, I'm avoiding it because I don't have the mental capacity to deal with it in the first place. If you're actually able to find some agency in all of this influx of information that can feel so overwhelming, then I think that takes away from the sense of overwhelm, at least to some degree, because you feel like you can do something about it. For a lot of people, I feel like they don't have that sense of agency. And I think that that's where we have to set more boundaries with that influx. You know, and when it comes to the Me Too movement in particular, I mean, all of the stories that are coming out around sexual assault, sexual misconduct, harassment, all of that you know, going back to your original question, the people in my practice, the women in my practice, sometimes I'm even asking them about it because it seems so relevant to some of the topics they're discussing anyway. But whether they bring it up or I do, they're all able to tell me, yes, there's so much that's triggering me in the news cycle right now, given my personal history. That's really heartening to hear because I feel like And I'll say this out here, listeners, I'm not sure how much of it I'm willing to share, but I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And I feel like with Me Too and Tarana Burke, who's been working on that for 10 years and now come to fruition through being spotlighted and focused on, there is truth in solidarity in numbers. Mm -hmm. There is truth in knowing that there are other survivors like you out there and that we are now feeling empowered. So to me, Me Too, because I'm a woman and because I'm a woman of color, Me Too is superseding anything I care about right now. Yes, I care about education, voting, blah, 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 blah. I care about all those things. But Me Too will never be muted for me. And I think that's a discussion. I mean, we could have it later. But I think that anybody who's willing to mute discussions on Me Too or Time's Up or discussions of consent and agency and things like that, you cannot be a bystander in this. This, what we're experiencing right now, will be remembered for generations, generations to come. And where you stood on it is going to matter for generations to come. I am going to share a story 
and I think I'm just not going to be able to help it. How is anybody going to change if they think it's not happening to the people around them? It's such a common experience. You can't help but lunge into it. How depressing is it that it's such a common humanity issue right now? So many of us now are speaking out about the spectrum of sexual misconduct, all the different experiences that, that we've encountered, and the solidarity is incredible, and the ability to be able to come out and feel like there's a safe space almost not anywhere, but more places than there have been, is inspiring and also so disheartening to think, oh my God, me too. How many me too's are there? We have this history of forever <laughs> where misogyny was totally okay. Trump gets elected. And then we hit September 2017 with the New York Times story that broke about Harvey Weinstein. And that's what started this whole like domino effect. Yeah. And since Harvey Weinstein, we can genuinely say, as the ladies in my book club said last week, who's left? Like, <laughs> who's not tainted? Way too many are still left. <laughs> so every week since September, we've had a new allegation ending with Steve Wynn, like yesterday, right? So hashtag me too is born in that of us finally noticing that this is a thing and calling out the people who are responsible for it. That leads to the Time's Up movement. Time's Up is born of this new wave of believing sexual assault victims when they speak in order to make them survivors. And in order to make them survivors, they need financial means. And Time's Up is an organization that raises money for women who, or men who are fighting sexual misconduct in the justice system. So you've read Rebecca Traster's All the Single Ladies along with us. We hope you have. And it tells you that the source of power is money. So if you are a victim, you cannot be empowered to become a survivor without money. That's just the way the justice system is set up. And that's what we've learned here, right? Every person who has been outed has been because of entertainment. There are people that we know by name, but obviously there are lots of sexual assault or sexual harassers who are still out there who are not so well known. And the people who are their victims don't have the same kind of power to go to the media and get this sort of reaction. So that's what Time's Up is about. It's about helping out those people. Time's Up, which was announced right before the Golden Globes, where we had basically every actress in Hollywood and the actors dressing in black to show their support for the victims of sexual harassment. That leads to the problematic issue of certain men wearing Time's Up pins that maybe shouldn't have been <laughs> as deflection. And that's what led to the Aziz Ansari mm -hmm. story. That's what I do. <laughs> it was the Golden Globes and seeing Aziz Ansari with the Time's Up pin that inspired Grace, the anonymous person in the story that Babe.net posted, to come forward about her experience. She comes forward with this now infamous article on the website nobody had ever heard of, Babe.net, about her experience with the worst date she ever had. And immediately after that, Aziz himself released a statement, and we're going to read that in full right now. In September of last year, I met a woman at a party. We exchanged numbers, we texted back and forth, and eventually went on a date. We went out to dinner. And afterwards, we ended up engaging in sexual activity, which by all indications was completely consensual. The next day, I got a text from her saying that although, quote, it may have seemed okay, end quote, upon further reflection, she felt uncomfortable. It was true that everything did seem okay to me. So when I heard that it was not the case for her, I was surprised and concerned. I took her words to heart and responded privately 
And after taking the time to process what she had said, I continue to support the movement that is happening in our culture. It is necessary and long overdue. Cue the five million articles that were born in the two weeks since then that we will pretty much all be linking in our show notes. So brace yourselves. I was surprised and concerned like it's her problem and not mine first of fucking all and then like while you were reading that response my first thinking is the way he's writing this and the the voice with which he's writing this response is very self-preserving obviously he has a career to take care of you know the longevity of it but not talking about the heartbreak ew i'm gonna say something gross if i were a man um (laughs) hold on if i was a man with a heart that's so fictional man (laughs) sorry come Um, on now okay okay shamila is here to bring us back okay that's why we brought her here okay so or why actually we're in her office so that's why she led us in here and that's why we're doing this in a therapist's office (laughs) Which happened to have men working on the roof above us. So if you hear that knock, 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 it's not our blood pressure raising. It's a metaphor for how this makes us fucking feel. Okay. If I was this person and I realized what I thought this event was versus what she thought it was with all of the stories that are coming out, I'm sure men are feeling this. Like, when was I a dick to somebody? So if I was Aziz Ansari... And this was what happened, and it wasn't what I thought it was because I am, um, I, I think that men are entitled to sex and that women are just dickholes. Then, you know, I don't know. Sorry, go back, rewind. I'm a man with a heart. I'm a man with a heart. Okay. I would talk about the heartbreak of realizing that I hurt someone, and that was not his response. The response was very self preserving, unjue. My bigger issue is the way he phrases it as upon reflection, she decided she wasn't okay with it. As if that wasn't her feel. Like in her text, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't she say she was never comfortable with it? Yeah, it was very not my problem. So it was definitely not like I misread. It was she changed her mind after the fact. This is the part of this entire story that infuriates me from both ends of the discussion, from women saying it's a bad date to men saying, what's the big fucking deal? Have you never been in a situation where you instantly, a microsecond, it took you to feel unsafe, to feel angry, to feel not wanting to be there? Has that never fucking occurred to you? For us to comment on Grace's comfort level, on Grace's personal proclivities with our personal lenses does a disservice to me too. Who are we to fucking decide how someone feels a victim? Who are we to say, oh, you're not a victim? It's very gaslighting, just like the environment that has allowed all these evil things to perpetuate. Gaslighting is a perfect fucking term. It's like... If you only know half a language and trying to translate it, that's what this is like to me. It's like I cannot look girls or young women in the face if I believe that this was just a bad date. 
Well, and the other problem is people acknowledging that she might have felt uncomfortable in that moment, but not comprehending why she didn't leave immediately if she felt that way. And this, Shamila, is where I would like to turn to you as a therapist. <laughs> she ready. She ready. <laughs> I'm just like crying over here. I first want to just say that the visceral reaction I'm having to this conversation is just unbelievable. I'm tight in my chest. I'm getting flushed because I am just so overcome. But I am going to try my best to say what I want to say right now, which is that we as women have been socialized to be nurturers, to essentially subjugate our own experiences for the sake of men. You could even go so far as to say of men's pleasure. And this concept that a woman growing up in this society that still exists, I don't care if she's only 23 or however old she was, she still lives in this world where women are actually trained not to be assertive and be outspoken, right? Because if you are, then you're a bitch or you're aggressive or you're competitive, right? So it's a bad thing. So how are we going to socialize our women to be submissive and quiet and then punish that same woman for being in a situation where she wasn't empowered enough to speak up and say what she didn't want in a more direct and assertive, possibly aggressive way. Hallelujah, amen. Preach 17 times on Sunday, bitch. I have written many articles, four of which are on Pooja's sisters-in-law blog that we will link to the show notes on the addiction of codependency. We have a culture that creates codependence out of women because laws society photoshopping we could go on and on about all the things that have been created to sustain women being small and making their lives about men and sustaining the power of men i've written about this because i have openly admitted that i have an issue with codependency i have an addiction and that's not my fault it was a coping mechanism from uh, being raised in an abusive environment is it my problem if the environment that allows men to treat women like dickholes is it my fault i'll be honest i've been in this situation before i will act in a way that makes sure that this guy feels like satisfied right Mm -hmm. it's about him it's not about me and my thought isn't how can I make this for me or I'm so excited to have sex let's just do this I'm gonna have sex and this is gonna be for me it's not ever about that and I've, I've been programmed to not be in a place where my needs are first I've been programmed to be in a place where the validation of men is first and foremost so is this my problem I understand that it exists and that I need to manage it and this is not about sex actually it's about my life and sex is a part of people's lives but I'm talking about how when I think about how many women struggle with codependency or how many women struggle with codependent issues it's societal So is it all our own individual problem or is it a societal problem that allows this to exist? Shamila. 
That's a yes and question. I'm a systemic thinker. That's how I was trained. That's the way my brain works. So I'm going to say that it's both and it's not either or, which just means that every individual has their own history. So, you know, Miranda, you've been very honest and open about your trauma history. And then there are plenty of people with trauma histories that inform the way they interact in relationships. And yes, each individual person needs to be aware of how their historical experiences inform the way they are in the world today. And there is an absolute systemic societal issue when it comes to gender socialization, when it comes to what it means fundamentally to be a man or a woman. And I think that while things are changing and certain families are trying to change certain things and there's a lot of discussion, particularly now, about what it means to be a woman and a man, it still exists. It's still absolutely existing and we still want women to be a certain way. And we, I was watching a video the other day that I shared with y'all where this guy said women are meant to be a civilizing force against men who just don't do that. And I threw up in my mouth a little bit, but that's sort of the point. That's still a prevailing concept that people adhere to. And so it's societal, contextual, as well as individual. I agree with everything you just said, because Grace had to stay anonymous because of these things. It is instinctual in American society to attack somebody questioning the purity of the establishment. What did Grace do wrong? As an individual woman in the modern times of dating... She did not accuse him of assault. Despite the bad journalism that is that Bay piece, we will get to that as well. To me, Grace did what an empowered woman would do. And unless you're a woman, fuck off for what I'm about to say. This is coming from me, who had to physically run away from a man last fall because he would not take no for an answer, okay? And seek refuge in strangers, hoping they would not also turn out to be attackers. This is what I'm going to say to that. Grace needed to be anonymous because this culture will kick her teeth out really quickly. And I don't know what she did wrong to deserve this vitriol. She confronted him after the fact. In the situation, women don't have the choice to outright fucking say no. We don't because there's always in the back of our head because of that conditioning, Shamila. There's always in the back of our head, will this motherfucker kill me? I had to run away from a man <laughs> less than four months ago, physically run away in the street because I don't know if no is good enough. So what Grace did to me, she never accused him of assault. She said, you made me feel uncomfortable. She addressed it on an individual level and it brought forth this discussion. Not just will this man kill me literally, but will this man kill me slowly through emotional abuse or what just happened or my own turning on myself. And the thing is, even being anonymous, she got attacked. That's what this whole outpouring of articles is about, is that she immediately got attacked as a victim by other women in many cases, because this was seen as being an overreach of the hashtag MeToo movement. And it's not. It's a spectrum that we're talking about. And this is not at the end of the spectrum that Harvey Weinstein is, but it's still something we need to talk about. So the issue that it was an overreach, one of the things that struck me immediately, so many women, myself included, were so triggered by the account in this story, in this narrative. And I think that's actually really, really important because the people who are saying that it was just a bad date and minimizing it and saying that it doesn't fit for assault, 
yeah, you know what? I've heard a lawyer actually say there was nothing actionable. There was nothing that we could legalistically call this assault. But that does not make what happened in that interaction between Grace and Aziz okay. It doesn't make it less victimizing, I guess I would say. And I would add that the fact that so many women were triggered, again, myself included, by that experience, it reminds me of when the Me Too movement started and I literally had to talk to a friend of mine and say, does this count? Is it right for me to say Me Too? Why Why did I have to ask that question? Because my experiences and the experiences of women at large are always so minimized. That interaction felt so real and so visceral to so many of us and it picked up on the nuance. It picked up on the nuance of what it is to be consensual. And that's the real conversation. It's not about splitting hairs between assault, legally or not. It's about consent. I need a trigger break. One second. Trigger break over... Like, I think it's just poetic that the sound equipment didn't work for like a solid 15 minutes. (laughs) And I was lying on the ground at one point because this conversation is so hard. And that is also another reason why it doesn't happen because it's so hard. The problem is that we've gotten caught up in talking about these kinds of issues in the terms of what is legally sexual assault or rape and what is not. And what is not is considered not a problem. And this conversation about what happened with Aziz Ansari is basically the conversation that there is a whole world of things that are problematic that is not illegal, but we still need to talk about. I want to point everybody's attention to the fact that it's no longer just called sexual harassment or rape. It's called sexual misconduct. And I want to remind everybody, as the quote-unquote lawyer in the group, sexual harassment is a punishable crime. (laughs) So when we talk about things like this, there's a difference between crimes, such as outright rape, which is what Steve Wynn did. And then there's a difference between harassment and then what I feel personally is the softer term, misconduct, which is also important to be inclusive of the entire rape culture conversation. Mm. So one of the things we should talk about in relation to this article is that one of the reactions that a majority of people had, including Ashley Banfield of the HLN Network, was that Grace should not have been anonymous and this was just a bad date. And also that she was trying to get famous using Aziz Ansari's name. Which, like it or not, that's an interesting question to pose, right? If she was going to stay anonymous, then to discuss this particular type of interaction and, yes, misconduct, then would it have been more powerful to actually keep Aziz's name out of it? I don't know. What do you guys think? (gasps) No, because in the heat of seeing Aziz in a Time's Up pin at the fucking Golden Globe Awards, I would have been angry too, and I would have hopefully found a better journalistic institution to report to, but... I would have told my story at that point. Like, everybody, this is not this person's truth. Yeah. Well, and also, I think it's useful to use his name because the whole point is there are people who are wearing these pins who think that they support this movement who are still, like, not getting it. And using his name is kind of a way to make that point. 
two things about that statement. One, it is important to use his name because I knew about Louis C.K. years before this news broke because it has been on anonymous blogs and sources. I'm a fan of stand-up comedy, so I follow a lot of different blogs. And this has been rumored for years about Louis C.K. But not using his name prevented things like this from happening. But also using his name also puts a tag on it about the gradation and the spectrum. Also, it wouldn't have saved Grace any of the attack that she got because there's plenty of people who also say, name the names. Why are you protecting these people? So, like, there's no right way to do this and you're going to get attacked no matter what you do. I want us to touch on this unique situation of having certain feminists of the old guard who wrote for, what was it, Slate in the New York Times, defending a brown man. <laughs> against misconduct again because going back to their experience was that this is just a bad date and failing to see the conversation around consent that is actually needing to be had here wait arguably feminist there's room to argue that they're not even actual feminists so that's part of the problem is this conversation that it's older feminists who were criticizing the movement and in some cases it is like with margaret atwood but in some cases it's people who never claim to be feminists and who have always been sort of critical of the feminist movement one of the worst responses to this whole situation with aziz ansari this woman started saying we didn't take any time to pounce on a brown man and and okay, thank you. Anju just rolled her eyes so loud just now. I don't know if you heard it, but she rolled her eyes. I'm, by the way, I'm a white feminist. Right. And poor brown men. They didn't take any time to pounce on this Muslim man. Yeah, the, hashtag colonialism. Yeah, yes. the fact that white feminists are rushing to Aziz Ansari's defense while Indian women are like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Including Kristen Bell. Yeah, these reactions stem from how babe.net article was written itself how it was presented one of the things i have a problem with katie ray the author of that article wrote it as if you were got you know how the show gossip girl is so i i am hesitant to make a comment on the medium it was presented in because i'm not of that generation so i don't know if this is how they ingest information but as a rational thinking person i would like to think i have a few problems with the way this article was presented there were pictures of the meal from a date. There was a description of the outfit. And I cannot remember the exact quote, but it was like, I saw the outfit. It was cute as fuck. Um, hold on. I need to do this in like a Kim Kardashian fright. We <laughs> saw the dress. It was cute. Oh my God, that's so perfect. There was the wine conversation as if that was remotely relevant. Yeah, like how much time they spent at dinner and whatnot. Like those are the signs of a bad journalist. But... At the same time, the amount of detail she created, I have seen women say, this shit is true because of this detail. Like, you don't recall things like this without signifiers to yourself, without lighthouses to the experience, right? Yes, because actually when I was reading those details, there are a lot of problems with the journalistic integrity of all this. Yes, I get that. But the details for me, when I think about people recounting trauma, they recount everything. Oftentimes they recount all kinds of details that feel irrelevant 
prior to events and then the event itself and then events afterwards. So it actually makes a lot of sense. And what I understood was those details spoke to the level of control and lack of agency she was given. She didn't get to choose her wine. The leaving the dinner so abruptly that, oh, I guess it's over now. I guess we're moving on to the next thing per Ansari's desire. I don't know. Whatever the man fucking wanted. Now, I will say this as somebody who watched Master of None, as somebody who's seen Aziz Ansari's social media feeds, he is a foodie. He loves food. And so if, uh, thank God I wasn't somebody in her situation. Thank God I wasn't even on that date. But if I was hanging out with this person, I would want to know what just as a person who's a foodie, I would want to know what he thinks is tasty. But here's the problem. He never asked her, what do you want? What, what are you feeling? What do you like? Aside from those very valid points, I myself am a foodie. And and I want to say something to what you said, Miranda. This woman, Grace, is 23 years old. In this room, our average age is over 30. <laughs> well over 30. Well over 30. Bitch over 30. <laughs> <laughs> And so our experiences, because we had a decade and a half on her, are so multitudinous that what she experienced will seem like a normal date to you because we fucking put up with it. I give Grace props for not, okay, for not, for being, regardless of what you think about Grace, she has changed the conversation. Like Moira Donegan did when she chose to claim her story as the creator and keeper of the men in media list. before the shitty men in media list. That documented, for those who don't know, the crimes of men in media that do compound up to rape and kept it secret before somebody could out her. Okay, so just to give some background on this, for those people who don't know, the shitty men in media list is basically like a Google Doc spreadsheet that Maura Donegan created. She kept her name anonymous at the time, and it was up for like 12 hours, and it was a list designed for other women who work in media to know basically who the problematic men were so that they would know who to avoid and... Just to be warned of the men that they would have to interact with in their industry. And it grew so far out of control that she had to take it down within 12 hours because she was afraid of how powerful it had become. And this is, again, I have to ping back to Samantha B saying it wasn't hashtag me too anymore. It was hashtag you too loud. I want to point out that women have, from the inception of time, created a network of sisterhood for those who would listen to protect ourselves. And that's what this list was. And the fact that Katie Rofi, I'm going to say her fucking name till I die, also did lazy journalism to out Moira for sensationalist reasons is disgusting. Okay, so we're going to have to back up on this, too. (laughs) (laughs) This is what Anju is here for to save us. Bread and butter. So the reason we know Maura Donegan's name is because a few weeks ago, there was this rumor that Harper's was going to publish a story by Katie Roy that was going to out the creator, Maura Donegan, of this article. And, And Twitter freaked out. Mostly women writers on Twitter freaked out. And they created a movement to try and protect this person. One writer actually offered to reimburse 
any writer who was about to have a story that was published in Harper's, if they pulled it back, not only reimburse, but also find them alternate avenues of publication. Right. So that basically punished Harper's by pulling stories that they were going to publish and reimbursing these writers and also finding them alternate avenues to publish those stories. There was also a whole movement of women pulling an I am Spartacus where they claimed to be the creator of the document in order to protect the real creator. This whole outcry led to Harper's denying that they were going to publish the story and Katie Royce denying that she was ever planning to out the actual creator of the article. The actual creator of the spreadsheet, Maura Donegan, outed herself in an article on The Cut where she told the truth and told how a fact checker from Harper's contacted her Several months prior, Katie had reached out to her saying that she was doing an article and she wanted to know if Moira wanted to comment on the current feminist moment. Air quotes around feminist moment. That was literally her phrase. Like it's something that's outside of her world that she does not (laughs) understand. I was going to juxtapose that to the waiting to what Katie Ray did on Babe.net, which was reportedly gave Aziz five hours to respond before posting the article. So Katie gave Moira an opportunity to comment for an article that Moira did not have any idea had anything to do with her, and she declined that opportunity. And then several months later, a fact checker reached out to Moira and said, Katie Royf is writing the story. She's going to identify you as one of the probable authors of this list. What is your comment, essentially? So Katie was too cowardly to actually ask Moira that question. She let her fact checker do it. Fuck you, shithead. Hashtag. <laughs> the hashtag's supposed to go before that. Fuck you. you, shithead. And Moira took her agency into her own hands and outed herself in her own article, in her own words, which was amazing. We're going to link to it into the show notes. I highly recommend that you read it for yourself. Queen. But also a lesson, a textbook lesson on how to be a ninja in owning your own fucking story. That article in the cut is so nuanced and covers a lot of heavy hitting topics about this discussion. You have to read it, listeners. There's no exception to this rule. You have to read it to continue listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Also, and the thing is, she did, in fact, lose her job between coming up with this article and outing herself and friends so this is the reason why people choose to be anonymous just to be clear when we talk about women attacking women katie royf is a person who is infamous for having attacked the in the 90s i believe is how she made her name by attacking the whole concept of date rape on college campuses and basically saying that the movement was victimizing women kill me (laughs) women who are rising above all of the patriarchal shit in our world have two things to be concerned with. We are, number one, having to fight the fucking men whose definitions of masculinity involve the submission and destruction and lowering of women. Um, if you are just joining the rest of the goddamn fucking world, if you think that your being a man depends on a woman being degraded lowered and less than you you are not a fucking man we are back we didn't say we were taking a trigger break but we totally did also the batteries died okay but no mostly trigger break shamila has essential oils in the office and we are all swapping 
inhaling lavender at the moment and and before i get to that point i was trying to make before wait um i just want to say the battery's dying was the universe telling us that we needed a trigger break yes okay okay. and the essential oil is like pass the duchy on the left like girl pass the dutch babe (laughs) here's what's hard about being a woman in a patriarchal society is we are not just fighting the men who want to keep us small we also have to fight women who have co-opted that patriarchal society to fight the women who are trying to gain strength and autonomy and become their own person separate from the empower men and men only universe everybody's seen or read the hunger games okay one of the at the very fucking end after all the shit that's happened has happened Katniss Everdeen has to not only deal with like the things that are trying to kill her within the world or whatever that dome is, she's having to fight the mutts that have as a face the eyes of the people that were originally in the dome with them. Hashtag metaphor. Right. So like she's having to not only fight what's killing her, she's having to fight the people that she has already felt aligned and attached and uh, f- she felt like were her company. She's now having to fight what looks and represents herself. So the history of feminism. So yeah. Fe- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Other victims now doing the work of the victimizers. Yes. And you were saying, Shamila, that this reminds you of the show... The Gifted. So any of you who are X-Men fans, and I'm a big X-Men fan, so this is not a newer story, but The Gifted itself is an offshoot of the X-Men, I guess, franchise. And what's happening, and it's interesting what Miranda was saying with uh, Hunger Games, they were called the Mutts. Well, in The Gifted, they're called the Hounds. And so it's... uh, mutants that have been co-opted by sentinel services that they are actually taking mutants and turning them on their fellow mutants and it's i think it's the same issue it's mutants against mutants women against women i don't necessarily want to shit on women who have the viewpoint that this is just a bad date get over it i just want to bring to your attention that you got to change the conversation when you were the generation in charge or the upcoming generation. We are just asking that the women of tomorrow get a chance to speak about their agency today. If you've had this experience and if you are just as confused as the rest of us, and if you are like, wait, this is my story, and these people are saying these things, and these people are attacking this victim, and I feel attacked, we want you to know that we're with you. And this is part of the span of our talking about rape culture. With that said, if you feel like you have a story to share, we are here with you and we are here to receive it. And if you are not there yet, just know that we're with you. This has been Miranda. Pooja. Anju. And Shamila. With the Jilted Indian podcast, (laughs) we definitely came in love and courage. Go in peace and power.